Ray Perez is a friend of mine that I spent elementary and high school with. He took the path towards medicine, which led him to topping the PRC boards twice, once in medtech and the other for the physician's licensure exam. He is currently a practicing doctor at a private hospital here in Cebu. On today's episode, he'll talk about topping the boards, the challenges of becoming a doctor, the challenges of being a doctor, and the Delta variant of COVID. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, Ray, thanks for coming on to my podcast. Yeah, glad to meet you, man. Uh, you mind introducing yourself very quickly for the listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Ray Perez II. I'm 29 years old, not very young. Uh, I'm a second-year medical resident at a private hospital here in Cebu. Uh, a little background about myself. I was a top-notcher in the 2013 medical technology licensure examinations and also the 2019 physician licensure examinations and I think that's why my good friend brought me here. (laughs) (laughs) You have a very good sense for what sells on podcasts, my friend. Uh, So uh, just jumping into this thing, because I actually think that like the perspective of a doctor is like a very, very unique perspective to have, right, in society in general. So like, how do you see like your role as a doctor vis-a-vis like you know, the jobs of those around you. Like, what are you in society, if you can define that for, for the listeners? Oh, yeah. Uh, we live a really different life from, you know, from a traditional nine-to-five job, right? So, <clears throat> for me, a, a doctor is actually more than just being a clinician. I mean, when you say clinician, it's like uh, the doctor goes on clinics, sees patients every day, uh, goes on rounds with the patients, and then sends them home, stuff, uh, stuff like that. But actually, being a doctor is uh, so much more. I think, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the statement of five-star physician maybe not <laughs> so no, no, no. yeah so basically a, a, a doctor is a clinician he's also a teacher he's also a health advocate he's a researcher and he's also a manager of sort yeah and a social advocate mm, and so like those are like the different roles that yeah. you need to have to be considered a good doctor is that the way you would define it yeah that, that's how we were we were taught in medical school but you know you, you can't always do all those at the same time, right? So I guess we're tackling one of them one at a time. Like for me personally, I think I'm, I'm still in the clinician phase because I'm still in training. Mm. Yeah. But you, you've acquired like a very good amount of success. You know, you're probably about as successful as a person could expect to be on the track that you're on in the given pursuit that you have. Uh, yeah. How do you reconcile that with, say, for example, the relative position that you have vis-a-vis other doctors? Like, so say, for example, you are about as accomplished as you could possibly be, right? I like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, But, you you know, like, there's that hierarchy in the hospital. Yeah. Well, the the life is not going to be the same for everyone, for all doctors. I think that's what makes us also unique in a way, because... We come from very, very unique backgrounds, if I may say. Um, I like to think I came from a quite traditional pathway to being a doctor. Uh, my parents were doctors. I, I grew up in a medical family, medical oriented family. And so I was brought up in this thing at a very young age. Uh, I specifically enrolled in, for my college course, medical technology. It's a pre-med course. Like It's really geared towards becoming a doctor in the future, stuff like that. But when, when, I, when I arrived in medical school and when I interned, and even right now, uh, as I'm uh, training in the hospital, I met a lot of people with very different backgrounds. Uh, example, I met people who, who went to psychology. I went. I met people who actually started engineering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I even I even met one who was a priest before. I had a, I had a senior once. He was yeah. He was a priest. He went up theology. He took up theology before deciding to become a doctor. And so, so uh, gaining all these uh, perspectives from from other people, I see that. I think the, the, the one thing that, that brings us together or made us decide to, to pursue a career in medicine, well, it's, not, it's not just a career, by the way, it's more of a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, it's the common uh, desire to help people, I guess. That, that's the simplest way I could put it. Mm-hmm. So you describe it as this lifestyle. Like, do you mind giving us a brief, or uh, just for the benefit of the listeners who might not watch Scrubs or... Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> those are the playlist. Yeah. If you're into Korean. Because <laughs> these are perfectly accurate representations of life in a hospital, right? So for those yeah. that do not watch those shows, right. perhaps you can walk us through what the life of a doctor right. is actually like. Yeah. Maybe maybe chart a day for us. Yeah. It's not like Grey's Anatomy where they just, you know... 
Or no. if it has a pulse, they will yeah. They will do something. They will they will cut them up. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't really work that way. So so being a doctor actually it's not not that as simple as the one you see in the TV shows. Um, you see, there are many subspecialties in medicine. Uh, what you see, for example, in Grey's Anatomy, there, there are a bunch of surgeons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think mo- most of the TV shows actually depict surgeons in a way. But uh, I'm thinking of internal medicine, and it's like more of a general adult medicine kind of thing. So a uh, typical day in our training uh, as residents, and I think as consultants in the future, so wake up at 6, uh, get ready, uh, go to rounds, I mean, I arrive at the hospital early so I can do my rounds. When I say rounds, I mean meeting my pa- my inpatients, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and then updating my consultants on their status, their laboratories, how they're doing, basically. And then after that, we can meet outpatients if there are there are consults for the day, yeah. If 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 none, then we can refer them to our consultants clinics, which are also located just near our hospital. Uh, if I'm on duty, and when I say on duty, I go on a thirty-six hour duty, so I I time in at seven a.m. Yeah, although I usually arrive earlier than that, I time out at 5 p.m. the next day. So what happens from 5 p.m. to 7 a.m. the next, uh, to, yeah, 7 a.m. the next day basically is, it's either we man the emergency room or it's either we man a special unit like the ICU. So that's, that's uh, a sleepless night basically of just watching over patients, expecting the worst that could happen. So a typical day, I'd see probably around 10 to 15 inpatients when I make my morning rounds. The outpatients, th- th- that could really vary. Currently, in this pandemic, maybe around five patients, maybe less than that, because there you know, are not that many people going out and about. Uh, at nighttime, though, that's when it changes, because it's totally unpredictable. We could have a really benign night, like let, let's say you can only see five patients the whole night. Like the whole ER team can only see five patients, and that's a really benign night. We can probably sleep maybe two or three hours. My yeah, gosh. yeah. Or in a really busy night, like what I've experienced recently before I went on leave, Mm. we basically get no sleep mm. yeah uh, a patient comes in it's in severe distress we have to put him on the ventilator uh, probably a lot of COVID cases yeah too. probably a lot <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> want to know <laughs> but yeah so we have we have to we have to uh, put the guy on a, on a tube intubate the patient put him on a ventilator stabilize the patient if his vital signs are unstable uh, something like that and we have to monitor him basically the whole night mm. And then, so we have no sleep. We just take a bath, probably eat eat some snacks while we're at it. Mm-hmm. Go back on rounds at seven a.m. the next day. Then rinse and repeat, basically. So I go home, probably at five o'clock, mm-hmm. or sometimes later if if we have a really toxic patient. Uh, and what is a toxic patient? Oh, a toxic patient is like a critical patient. Yeah, I thought you meant like toxic. It's like <laughs> oh no, it's not like a toxic. Person. Pay attention to my needs, doctor. <laughs> I would like to say that. There are also some patients like that, but you know we can we can just choose our battles. <laughs> yeah, so so go home at five, uh, maybe just eat a really quick dinner, and go to sleep. Mm. Then the next day, rinse and repeat. Got it. Okay, but like you you mentioned though, uh, how shall we say that you you interact with patients during a period of only like a few days, right? Mm. What is that like being in that position of a doctor where you kind of only interact with someone when their health has taken a turn for the worse yeah uh how am i gonna say this maybe at, at the start of course it's, it's the patient's health over over everything right <clears throat> so so we, we can kind of be actually uh fast about things i think if you notice doctors are always in a rush most of the time yeah so we have to be quick about things maybe some that's why some people think of us as rude or we, we don't really pay attention but in general good we're just really trying to you know, save save their life. <laughs> so if you if you'll forgive us for those for those times, but yeah, as 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 we make our daily rounds, for example, the patient gets admitted on the floor. So of course we have to do rounds every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we eventually get to know our patients more. We get to talk about their personal life. We mm-hmm. get to understand their social circumstances, which I think is very, very underappreciated because uh, for me, Mangud medicine is uh, a social thing. It's it's it has a really big social component. Uh, some patients don't uh, tell you outwardly, but uh, they could have a family problem. They could have a financial problem, mm. and the management or the how how the way we take care of our patients really depends on these extraneous factors. As much as we want to give the best for our patient, the best medicines, we want them to 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 be discharged as quickly as possible. You know, some some things uh, we just can't accomplish. So we have to you know weave our way through the different social and medical circumstances of each and every patient. 
And I think that's what makes it re- very rewarding if we, you know, finally send the patient home well, mm-hmm. uh, doing the best that we could given their resources and given the resources that we have mm-hmm. in the hospital. But that's actually one of the things that I personally struggle with, like in my own practice as a lawyer, because a lot of the times people who come to consult with me, like something horrible has already happened. You know, yeah. like I, I had someone come in and like she signed a bunch of paperwork to buy her house and they'd agreed on a purchase price. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she had no idea the paperwork she was signing. But I, I, I put all the different contracts in front of her and I interpreted them in front of her and I showed her like, OK, you're going to wind up paying like two million pesos more than you originally planned because mm-hmm. of all these papers here, here and here. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, like the contract is signed. Like there's nothing I can do to help you. Yeah. Right. And uh, I mean, like we could go to court, we could try to get the contracts thrown out. And yeah. that's kind of one of the struggles of like the learned professions, like because of the incredible mm-hmm. ignorance that exists in society of our respective disciplines, mm-hmm. I think. Right. Uh, that's the reason why the problems come about in the first place. A lot of the times, the problems that you and I probably try to fix uh, are preventable or almost entirely yeah, preventable. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. And does that engender any feelings in you, like as a doctor? Or? Uh, I think it's normal to be frustrated sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as much as, you know, we, we read about these, I mean, we've studied how many years? You and me, probably eight years or more. Yeah, just to get to this point, and we're still not. Well, I'm not yet done. You are, <laughs> but you still read every day. But yeah, yeah, that that's one of the frustrations, I guess, that we we both share. Because as much as we read, as much as we know right now, uh, sometimes it's very frustrating to know that you know we really can do very little for some people. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we can't help anyone, but we also can't be like a, a like a savior to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's it's very frustrating actually because. Uh, you, know, you see patients all the time say, asking, Doc, can I just go home today? Mm. Uh, I really ran out of money. Our insurance is all consumed. I think we'll have to sell our house. You know, those kinds of things. So, and, then, and then you know as a doctor because you know what's going to happen. If, for example, the patient wants to be discharged and when he's not medically stable yet. Mm-hmm. So he, he could be uh, readmitted. He could be in a much worse condition when he gets home. Those kinds of things. So uh, for me, the frustration is really part of the job. But kinda mm. uh we have to just make do with what we have right now. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. so you mentioned uh particularly like the lifestyle is very different for doctors than it is for people generally. Could you please outline maybe like some of the things that you miss out, like mm. being a doctor? What are the social sacrifices that you make? I miss uh having a caffeine free life. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm living on caffeine, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh socially, uh, what do you think? What do I mean? Let me see. Yeah, since we we've been busy studying, most of our most of our time is devoted to reading, since medical school. So that's around eight years of you know missing out on family gatherings, mm-hmm. uh, missing out on going out with friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding all these weird excuses like, guys, I, I think I'm I'm busy this weekend. I, I really can't go out. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So that's really kind of sad actually. And for but for me, I think that the the hardest part is kind of missing time out with family because uh, family is really high on my priority list. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, being an only child, so uh, yeah, my parents are not getting any younger, my aunties are not getting any younger, so as much as possible, I'd really want to spend more time with them, yeah, while they're still, you know, uh, out and about, they're still healthy, we can still do what we want, but yeah, unfortunately, COVID happened also, so that's also limiting what I can, you know, how, how I can spend time with my family. Mm, so, uh, but like, as a doctor, it's probably like a very different life that you get no is do you find yourself like only knowing other doctors is that is that would that be an accurate assessment only only, <laughs> only hanging out with other doctors yeah you're, you're my first friend in a long time <laughs> just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think most of most of uh yeah my acquaintances and friends are yeah also in the medical profession mm. yeah so but then uh what 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 kind of advantages does that bring though? Like you know, being so deeply embedded in the medical profession. Well, uh, I think one of the easiest advantages I could see is, example, if uh, example, God forbid, no, like my, my my dad gets admitted, something like that. Yeah, it makes the whole admission process easier, the whole mm-hmm. referral to a, a, a some specialist or consultant easier, those kinds of things, and we probably get to have our little privilege in the hospital. I would say like. Of course, since we know the staff, we know the we know the people around. We can probably you know have facilitate things, yeah. Get preferential treatment. Yeah, <laughs> short. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> okay, uh, but uh, what are the what are some of the taxes that that imposes? Like, what are what are some of the the costs that that 
that kind of life being so deeply embedded in the medical community like, has. Are you talking about a financial cost? What kind of cost? Well, yeah. I mean, like, well, what jumps out to you? So, of course, easily, like, a perk is, you know, the, the benefit to your health and the health of your loved ones, right? Yeah, yeah. But, like, what is a unique disadvantage uh, of being so, you know, siloed in this profession? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's time. Really? Yeah. Because time is really the most valuable resource in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of since we devote much of our time in the hospital, taking care of patients, so yeah, that time could have been also you know used for other pursuits, maybe your hobbies, you know, mm-hmm. aside from spending time with family and friends. Yeah, so those things are for me that that's really the cost or the like an opportunity cost that you know you have to take. Mm. But uh, so you you've kind of outlined for us what exactly is the life of a doctor and what it is someone can expect if they go into it. Uh, is there something that you wish you could change about it? Maybe walk us through a few of those. Oh, right, right. So I think... I'm sure I, there I aren't I don't, any. Yeah, <laughs> I hope I don't piss off a lot of people. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think the long hours could really uh, get some, you know, we could definitely cut that down, I guess. Uh, you see, abroad, like, they're actually adopting more flexible work schedules for, for doctors and, like, us, the healthcare professionals in general. Yeah. They, they don't... We don't work as much as they do. I mean... Yeah, they don't work as much as we do before. But but to be fair, the the current system that we have in place was actually adopted from from the outside. Yeah, I think from the states. You know, they started all this thirty six hour thing. Those crazy people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I think it, it mental health. You know, uh, professional health became a really big thing outside, and uh, they they really adopted to the to those you know circumstances well. I think. Uh, mm. Hopefully, we can also adopt those uh, practices here. Mm, uh, maybe 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 we can be specific because like, why do you feel that those are things that people need here as opposed mm. to not having them you know yeah uh, so the specifics like kinda, I guess we, we don't have to always go on 36 hour duty anymore maybe we can have the 36 hour like maybe the two 18 hour shifts or two 12 hour shifts you know something like that we can distribute the staffing more mm-hmm. more uh, equitably yeah. Mm. yeah because you know you uh, you know, sometimes I stay awake in law school. Like I would do it once or twice in law school, you know, when I was particularly worried about a particular professor or a particular mm. subject. And mm. sometimes I'm going to overnight to meet a deadline. Mm. You know, like I will I will sleep in the office if it, if it needs to happen. But to do so regularly, yeah, we do that's regularly. a real trip. <laughs> it really is. I think I, I spend more time in the hospital than I do at home. Yeah, basically home is just like eat, sleep, take a bath, <laughs> go back to the hospital. Oh, gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really not for everyone, Yeah, by the way. So it, I'm not discouraging people from, from pursuing a medical career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really rewarding. And I, I don't regret anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we have to, before you jump into this kind of career, this kind of lifestyle, you have to just be aware, Siguro, of the, the sacrifices that you're going to have to make. And I think they made it, they made it clear from day one, from or day one of medical school, day one of residency training, that it's going to really take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot of effort and sacrifice, but it's going to be worth it. I hope. <laughs> in, 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 in law school, it's funny because it's, like, it's almost the opposite. It's like, they're always like, you know, it's not a guarantee of success. And we're just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so why are you here? <laughs> why, are, why are we here? <laughs> so this is just a giant Ponzi scheme where they're just trying to get more people in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to work for them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then, so we're not really sure what, what it is. Like, you know, every every other class, the professors will be giving like some tidbit of wisdom. Mm. It's like, class, huh? If you handle not like so, this is for the boys in the class. If you handle annulment cases, you be very careful because these women are gonna come to you yeah. at the lowest point in their lives, yeah. and uh, they're <laughs> going to see you, a young professional lawyer who's very stable and does everything they ask. Yeah. You know, and it was like he was outlining a personal struggle that he had. <laughs> and it just, I can imagine. <laughs> are you trying to like convince us not to get into this? Because <laughs> you're doing a really good job. <laughs> I didn't do a good job on you. <laughs> well, yeah, I kept going. I'm like, for, I guess I'm not one of the brighter ones. <laughs> um, so, uh, if you could describe though for me, Ray, like you've outlined that there's like so many challenges, there's so much difficulty when it comes to facing the medical professions, and these challenges, these difficulties are specific to the medical profession, mm. right? Uh, what are some attributes uh, mm. that a person would need to be successful there? Like in this, oh, in this, in this, in this, in this, path, in yeah. this pathway. Uh, I think number one is 
you have to have the passion for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to have a certain level of willingness to to do things because, to be honest, you're going to be put in a lot of situations that are very awkward, that are very very much like I'd rather not do this, but mm-hmm. there's no other freaking way, so I'm going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be screamed at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a fair couple of times, not just by the your consultants, by the patients, by the even by the by the staff. It, it's you're gonna have you're gonna have conflict on the regular. It's it's gonna be on your menu basically the whole day. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be faced with a lot of decisions to make, not just with with the, regards to your time, but with regards to how you're gonna take care of your patients, those kinds of things. So you need to have a certain level of of willingness, and I think it, it's more of gut, siguro, to to be a decision maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because I think being a doctor, the essence of it is aside from you know taking care of people, it's it's being a decision maker. Mm. Yeah, you have to, you're you're put in this position to make decisions, if if you know what I mean. I I I think I get you, but uh, with regard that particularly that that culture of uh, shall we say berating, uh, insulting, mm. uh, intemperately expressing your opinion <laughs> as to the performance of your residents or your interns. <laughs> Uh, is that something that you would say is strictly necessary? Uh, no, honestly. I think we could live in a world without that. And to be fair, to be fair, it, it has really gotten better. I mean, I've heard stories from my from my seniors, even from my consultants. It used to be really bad. It used to be really, really bad. You, you wouldn't want to hear about no, no, it. Give us a few and, stories. And fine. Okay. Uh, yeah. How about throwing a chart, like a metal chart? I mean, you know how a hospital chart looks like, right? It's pretty thick, yeah. It's pretty thick. And it's bound by metal. Imagine <laughs> being thrown that by your consultant. Uh-huh. That's the worst story I, I ever heard. <laughs> yeah. In in, 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 law, in law offices, we have like similar stories. Like they yeah, throw yeah. staplers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but the chart is, it's like a long one paper's no, size, no. right? No, but then, hey, hey, hey. You, you, you haven't seen a stapler in a law office. Like, oh, no, I haven't. Because you have to imagine, right? It has to be big enough to get through like a hundred page bleeding. Ah, okay. So these okay. are not like your regular, game, the ones that fit game. in a pencil box <laughs> <Okay>. staplers. Because <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> fair game, fair game. <laughs> yeah, so those kinds of stories I've heard. But to be fair, the culture has really changed. And I, I think to, I have to give credit to, to my consultants right now because they've experienced that before from their consultants and I don't think they want us to experience that that level of, of uh, hierarchy in the hospital so mm-hmm. I think they, they've done a they've done a quite decent job I guess of, of you know bringing toning it down toning mm-hmm. it down yeah uh, but you, you also can't help it Mangud. Uh, of course when the patient's life is on the line uh, somebody has to answer for something it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really like that it's all about taking responsibility Mangud, for something and if, if anything it's going to be the doctor who's going to have to answer for it, Mangud. So we, we totally understand their different uh, stress levels, uh-huh. I guess. Um, and no one's really going to blame you if, if you know, you, you act out of, uh, out of your temper, Siguru. Because, because the, the, the pressure is really, or the, the, the burden of, you know, making sure that the patient is alive and making sure they go home well, it's really going to be on you. So we totally understand that, but at the same time, we know we know that there's still a lot of work to be done, Siguro. So, um, I'm currently second year, right? So we're gonna be uh, going third year. So, uh, residency training is three years, right? So we're gonna be seniors by next year. Mm. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're gonna have more juniors under our wing. We're gonna have more interns under our wing. Hopefully, as the pandemic you know improves, we can have more interns coming back into the hospital. Uh, so that's also a, a challenge for me, I guess, is to how, how we can uphold this, this culture that, you know, we're, we're in the hospital, everybody should be working together. It shouldn't be like <clears throat> there's just one guy calling all the shots and everybody else follows. If, if something goes out of line, then I'm going to shoot you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it, it should be more of a collaborative thing rather than, a, you know, more like dictatorship or something like that. Yeah, I get yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Manasha. Um, it's going to be a challenge. And also, I think when I become a consultant in the future, hopefully, uh, I, I think that's going to also be a challenge on, on my part to, mm. to you know, change, change the way things go. But, but I'm seeing a lot of good things na as, it, as it is right now. Mm. So it's more of just building on, building on what, what, what our consultants right now have already started. Mm-hmm. The, 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 one of the things that always like, made me appreciate uh, the medical profession, you know, when I, in a different life, I might have been a doctor myself. What... Mm. Uh, one of the things that really sobered my expectations of what that life might be like is when my when a friend explained to me that you know a, mm. a person's worst 
day is our everyday you know like mm-hmm. he, he, it, what really struck me about that conversation i had with this friend was we would talk about um compressions right mm. so compressions is uh maybe you want to tell the listeners what compressions are oh like chest compressions chest compressions right so that that happens when a patient is basically lifeless <laughs> we're trying to save his life so that's that's cardiac life support so we do chest compressions i mean as, as you can see on tv probably you know the you know pumping on the heart yeah uh-huh. well while, while the patient's lying on the ground mm-hmm. yeah that's so, chest compressions mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but the way he the, way, the, the what struck me was the way he talked about it you know that it's just something that you do like so once uh, a b c a criterion have been met yeah, yeah. you get on yeah. top of the patient and you do compressions and usually another doctor is talking to the next of kin yes. explaining the likelihood of outcomes <laughs> yes, and yes. the number of times that compressions have occurred yeah. and there is a set uh, script that they repeat every single time yeah. right or that deviates a little bit given the circumstances mm-hmm. but is more or less unchanged yeah. right and that is probably like one of the worst things that a person can have to sit and listen to right but that is something that a doctor will deliver on the regular in any regular. hospital of like a reasonable size yeah right yeah so definitely. uh that that was also something that always really struck me about like the the unique pressures of that profession like the extraordinary becomes so mundane right mm. what 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 helps you um, deal with that uh for me it's it's always difficult uh i've, I've been doing that like that's what we call appraising the the, the family, mm-hmm. appraising the patient's family of, of the prognosis mm-hmm. of the patient. So meaning like how, what are the chances of living, you know those kinds of things. What will happen if we keep on doing this chest compressions? What happens if we don't do this? You know? mm-hmm. uh, and frankly, it, it 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 has always been hard. I mean, I don't want to sound like like a cynic, you know, like like I've been desensitized to to these things. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, it's always hard for me because uh, every time I I talk to a family member. Uh, a wife, a son, a daughter, uh, a nephew or a niece about about these things. Uh, I can feel their pain, man. Good. I can feel the pain of the and the anguish, or sometimes the guilt of 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 the family member uh, as we're you know trying to to revive the patient. And I don't think I don't think it's it's something that you'll ever get comfortable with doing, mm-hmm. no matter how many times you do it, because every 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 unique patient and every unique family member you meet is also a different situation which again boils back to what I've said earlier it, it's, it's a social thing no? medicine is, is, is a huge part of medicine is not the science but the social aspect of it mm-hmm. yeah so it's, it's really hard it's really hard imagine imagine telling someone that mom your your husband's basically dead right now we're trying to bring him back to life but 15 minutes have gone on and there's still no signs of life. Mm. Um, if we do this more than 20 or 30 minutes, the chances of recovery are close to zero. Mm. If ever he recovers, his brain will be so out of oxygen already, he's going to basically be comatose for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. That's basically what we say, mm-hmm. to put it bluntly. Mm. Yeah, so uh, it's really hard. It's really yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not it's, you don't want to be in, in that in that position but you know that's what that's the thing it, it's all about responsibility we have we have no choice but to say it because number one it's it's the it's the truth and number two it's it's the for me it's the right thing to to do yeah because if yeah. you don't give them adequate information right to make decisions then they're yeah. going to cling on to hope and that's true you don't want to divorce their perception from reality no no that, that's also one of the worst things that could happen yeah. yeah. Cause, but because some some it's it's very natural for some family members to be in denial, especially if you know they just found their family member unresponsive. They don't like they were well and good. They were talking. He fell asleep, and then when they try to wake him up again, they can't wake him up now. He's blue already. Mm. Yeah. You call the emergency services. They bring him to the hospital. When you see the patient, you know you, you can kind of tell Mango. You can kind of tell if how how long they've been you know lifeless. Mm-hmm. Roughly, I mean, I'm pretty sure you read it in legal medicine. You know the rigor mortis or the cyanosis. Yeah, yeah, those kinds of things. Yeah, which the, are the subject disturbing. for. <laughs> by, by the way, legal medicine from uh, uh, for doctors is probably like if I could if I could explain the practical import of that subject in med school is how not to get sued. And yeah. legal medicine, <laughs> legal medicine for uh, lawyers is how to remove a doctor's license. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're on opposite ends with that yeah. one. <laughs> Also, but alternatively, I, you know, a lawyer could use that training to protect the doctor's true, license. True. That's why we're friends. <laughs> so that's the reason why I put up with this stupid yeah. podcast. All right. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, man. <laughs> it's like, hey, man, remember when I did that podcast for you? I have a problem. I need, yeah, a, I need I, some, I need I need some, some help. help. <laughs> 
Okay, so um, let, let's back away from like the heavy topics though and ask. Cause, uh, I think a lot of the reason why people will probably tune into this episode is uh, because you you're a top notcher, right? Yeah. Uh, n- not only did you do it once, you did it twice, right? Right. right. Uh, uh, I won't. I think I think asking questions of like how to do it is oh, okay. is really is really gus gus you know like it's really it's really beaten to death everyone knows how a top notcher did it you know he married his books for the time he was in med school yeah there's I no love to my books <laughs> there's no secret there right but let me ask you the question why because you probably did you you set out to intentionally at least try yeah right? to be honest I did yeah so why okay that, that's a really nice question <laughs> uh, how would I say this I, I set out to 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 uh, at, at least try and set an expectation for myself because I think I know deep in my heart that I am capable of, of doing those things and um, it, it's not that I'm I'm you know trying to brag or something but uh, it's just something that I, I feel that I could do and if, if I you know if I achieve these sort of achievements that I've done uh, I can bring you know honor to my school I can bring some pride to my parents you know stuff like that. And also, like personally, like career-wise, it, it, it's a good you know stepping stone. You it, it opens up a lot of opportunities. Um, aside from opening up a lot of opportunities, you get to actually meet more people who are you know uh, also quite well accomplished in their own right. And so you have this exchange of ideas. You know, kind of like what they're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's debatable as to whether I'm accomplished. <laughs> I think you are, man. <laughs> I'm getting you more listeners. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So, so you, you know, you get to meet, you know, more like-minded individuals. You get to meet more, you know, accomplished people, and you get to you get to exchange some ideas with them. Mm-hmm. And for me, it also helps you grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. th- those are some of the things that uh, Mark I can say are benefits to or some perks to what I've been, you know, accomplishing so far. Mm-hmm. So the, the the this process of like topping the boards like you you accomplished it and you did it in a very in a very impressive fashion uh is there like what what happens after like do do you get called in like does the mm-hmm. does the dean of your school of medicine like invite you to if you top the bar for example yeah. like regardless of which <laughs> school you get you get like a car or something oh, they give right, you like a right, house right you know <laughs> Like did 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 they get any perks like that? Unfortunately, none. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there was some. I would uh, to be to be honest. Yeah, there was some uh, probably some incentive. Yeah, but but not as grand as you know a car or a house. No, it, it doesn't reach that that level. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I think more than that. I, uh, to be to be frank, I think the la- so the last one was Katong Pag twenty nineteen right when I topped the PLE the mm. physician licensure exam. I was second place then. Uh, I actually didn't receive, you know, much. anything. No, nothing. <laughs> no, to be honest with you, no, no, no. Wait, I, I think the the most I got was a tarp on 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 our on the front of our school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should've, we should have written an angry letter. <laughs> right, right. I should have asked you for help. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, but I think aside from that, yeah, to the. Sakum, I remember, yeah. So we, the dean just talked to me, congratulated me. But I always knew, Mangud, that uh, beyond the, the financial aspect or, you know, the material aspect of, of, the, of, of this achievement that I've had, uh, it's always been a, a culture in, in our school, you know. Uh, I came from CIM, no, for, for those uninitiated, Cebu Institute of Medicine. Uh-huh. Uh, it's one of uh, the, how many, five medical schools, I think, here in Cebu right now. <laughs> it's one of the oldest. It's probably the second oldest, I think. Yeah, so, um, so we've had a to be you know to be honest with you, we had we've had a long line of you know long culture of excellence, and kind of I'm just frankly happy that I didn't disappoint my dean. <laughs> yeah, if he's listening to me right now. <laughs> you look at the uh, other people in your batch and you go losers. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the did 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 you feel that like like because of course like this is something that like feel I the, I really pressure yeah yeah, yeah yeah you felt it yeah yeah because when you when you when you graduated from med school what 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 was your oh to me yeah it was like you know when we graduated medical school it was always the the, the motto of you know the, the dean always tells us our teachers always tell us us that you have to get a hundred percent passing rate that that is a bare minimum that we had to achieve yeah it really is <laughs> sorry but it really was like that it's like. If you fail, you're going to be one of, of a few who didn't, you know, we were going to be one of the few batches who didn't get 100%. Uh-huh. 
So that was always the pressure on us as a batch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Personally, uh, nobody actually, you know, I mean, of course, people are going to tell you, oh, hey, you better top the boards, you know, those kind of things. Oh, we're expecting great things from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but to be fair, I never really, I never really, what do you call this? More, it was never really like a formal thing. Like, you mm-hmm. know, RDN didn't announce it. Hey, uh, Ray, we better talk the freaking boards. <laughs> he just calls you at like two. <laughs> yeah, he just calls you at two a.m. in the morning. Hey, Ray, uh, hey. I hope you're studying. Yeah, now. I hope you're studying. You better right not now. be sleeping. Yeah, one more week to the boards. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they, they really go that way. It, it was more of a uh, silent mm. understanding, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, but kato, I'm, I'm just really happy I didn't disappoint people. <laughs> No, but then like you know, like that's that's something that's really hard to explain. Like when you go to an institution that's known for excellence, like so us in Atmea, for example, yeah. we're really told it's not it's not implicit. It's like it's explicit. It's, it's like explicit. by the way, class, we don't uh, aim to just pass the bar. Like the goal is to top. Okay, yeah. and, and we're just like, and then they just proceed with the lesson. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you can't just sneak that in there. By the way, we want you to be like academically excellent, like. <laughs> To the point of like completely defying all manner of statistics, yeah. right? Like it's, you really have to top the bar, and we're just yeah. like we're sitting there going like, "Wow, this is intimidating as all hell." <laughs> well, let's let's open our book. <laughs> Study. I bet it worked. I bet it worked. Yeah, yeah, and and you know like, but the thing is, the, the bar exam, for example, is not the same as like a. Yeah, it's pretty different from ours. Yeah, it's like subjective. It's essay. You, know? you have to have good handwriting. Oh, uh, uh, I worked on <laughs> so, that. So I've heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I? Can I, I see? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 don't look at my notes. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, that was something I actually had to work on because it presented its own unique challenges. Uh, and the the process of taking the bar exam is so surreal, right? You know, like when we, when we take the bar exam, like they, they really cordon off like the school yeah. that's hosting the bar exam and oh. there's police and then like all the different yeah. schools have their cheer squads and it surrounds the area. And yeah. then so you can hear the banging of drums oh the goodness. entire time you're taking the exam. Yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it only happens in one place in Manila. So you have 6,000 examinees in one place. So that's terribly, terribly stressful. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Yeah, and then the and it takes us six months to get the results. Yeah, six months of, you know, of fear, anxiety. Of panic, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was like, I, I really asked my mom, mom, it's like, do you have anything for me to do, like, outside mm. of the country? Because I didn't want to be in the country when the results came out. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Us was, it was just three days, though. Three days? Because, okay, so our board exams were, it spanned two, two weekends, right? Mm-hmm. Four, four days in total. Two, mm-hmm. two Saturdays and two Sundays. But since it was all multiple choice and it was, you know, electronic, basically, so the results came out after three days. So the agony wasn't as long as yours. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Those three, the, the waiting period was really uh, quite anxiety-ridden. I, I, was, I was very hungover and I was in Munich, Germany. Oh, right? nice. Perfect so, place to have a hangover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it was just like, uh, it's like, uh, I, I really called up a friend of mine. It's like, hey man, like, can we please have some beers? And then, like, because yeah. I'm finding out tomorrow if I'm going to be a lawyer or not. And I don't want to be sober when that happens. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, uh, I literally, I got so drunk, I could barely move. And then I woke up and I saw, like, 300 messages on my phone. And I'm like, oh, I guess oh, I guess I passed. Congratulating you. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, obviously, it's not 300 messages. I'm like, haha, you failed. You suck. Yeah. I'd be like, are you okay? <laughs> we can get a drink. <laughs> well, I mean, I was in the perfect place to do it. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, let me just ask you one last question about the the medical profession and like the educational yeah. system. Yeah. Like, there's probably like a lot of things that you do that are not strictly speaking necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, there's a lot of tedium involved mm-hmm. in the 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 training involved to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? It, how do you approach that? Like, what, what? Like, you know, you're doing something that's incredibly majestic, which is you know the practice of medicine, right? <laughs> and then it's not very glamorous. <laughs> yeah, and it involves lots of powerpoints. Yeah, it involves a lot of uh, yeah, like like <laughs> filling out forms. Yeah, it like, really does. Yeah, how do you balance that? You know, this grand expectation of the practice of medicine against the tedium of it all. Hmm. Um, that's a very hard question, I think. Mm-hmm. So there's that. That's there's two sides to a coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on one side you get to you know you know on the public eye you get to present all these things you sound, you get to sound so knowledgeable when you talk to your consultants you have to sound all confident like you know what's going on all the freaking time even <laughs> if you really don't <laughs> and on the other side of the coin here's your progress notes here's your papers that you have to do here's to the not so glamorous thing like you know uh, cleaning up after your patient or you know oh my yeah gosh. yeah yeah we, we do that sometimes you know uh, mm. so. 
Uh, for me, to strike a balance would be to, you know, to do both sides of the coin uh, equally and to do both sides as best as you can. Because let's face it, uh, with, the, with the limitations of our health system, I mean, as much as we would want to go electronic, you know, like have it typewritten and all, bring our iPad Pros to the clinic, you know, like like in the TV shows, we really can't do that here in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's mostly handwritten. I think that's the part that's very tedious. Mm-hmm. about our job right now it's basically mostly paper based mm-hmm. so yeah to, to, to strike a balance is uh, I think the, the, the challenge in itself oh. um, but, that, but that's it so you have to do both sides of the, of the coin of the equation equally mm-hmm. equally mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. Yeah, even, even if you, you don't want to and I think it all goes back to kinda your, your willingness to, to or the amount of sacrifice that you're willing to, to put in, in, into your work but I agree some, some things could really need some improving with regards to our system. So hopefully we, in the future, once I become a consultant, you know, we can maybe put out some solutions to those kinds of things. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that like people don't see though. Like when, you know, you practice a profession, like me, for example, as a lawyer, right? Like one of the things that, uh, you know, you need to have and people don't often think about it is like I have an intimate knowledge of the specifications of printers. You oh. <laughs> uh, I, you know, like uh, I am about as good as uh, you can possibly be with Microsoft Word. Mm. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, it's something that, you know, people don't often think about. You know, there's, there, you know there is this thing that you want to be, like a doctor or a lawyer, but there's this whole constellation of skills that you did not think was related to yeah. that practice. Oh. oh, I'm going to give you a good example. Go ahead. I became so good at texting really fast. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. Uh, yeah, because you know we have to update our consultants every morning uh-huh. of our patients if if they're critical, if they're intubated, we have to update them every eight hours, uh-huh. every shift. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we became really good at typing things. You know, it, it got to the point where I could you know probably type without looking at my keyboard. You know, you, you use all these swipe gestures. You have this little keyboard with a kind of you can predict the stuff right. What yeah. the next word? Yeah. It became so bad to the point that I just kept pressing the the prediction input and it would get it right every time <laughs> yeah I'm not even kidding if I'm relaying an ultrasound result of the patient my my phone knows exactly what is a normal ultrasound so I just keep, keep pressing the predictive input and it's really gonna complete a normal ultrasound for me <laughs> no <laughs> I'm not even kidding so yeah that that's that's a skill that I never thought I'd, I'd gain from all this medical training mm-hmm. texting really fast oh, another is also writing really fast but you know our handwriting is really ugly. <laughs> Unlike you, we don't have the pressure of actually making our our penmanship legible. The nurses are really good at figuring out what we're writing. Oh. You'd be surprised. <laughs> and that's the constellation of skills for nurses. The for nurses, the master. <laughs> it's like, hmm, yeah, paracetamol. <laughs> yeah. I also mastered the skill of eating my meal in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, because if, if you're in the emergency room, you really don't know what's going to happen. So so if, example, I'm eating my... this is I don't know if this is my only five minutes to eat, so I better freaking eat fast. <laughs> It's like that. If, if I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to eat my dinner, you're expected to finish your meal in five minutes or less <laughs> if you're in the emergency so, room. And, you, and probably you also perfect the skill of giving yourself hyperacidity. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After all the caffeine I'm taking. Yes, yes, yes. There's so much I could get into. Like, uh, you know, I've gotten to know, like, even Excel, for example, like something that mm. like I use in my profession because I, I, a lot of the cases I handle are for corporate embezzlement. Mm. So, like, lots of documentary exhibits that I have to keep track of. Oh, yeah, we do Excel too, but, you know, for research and stuff. Really? Like statistical? Yeah, statistic, but that's why we hire statisticians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to do everything. Yeah, you don't have to do everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and PowerPoint too. We're kind of well-versed with PowerPoint. Because you have to... Yeah, present stuff. To your to every day, right? Like when you turn over the the, the, the batch of patients. Yeah, we have to endorse, we have to present our... our, um, case presentations, those kinds of things. I have a friend who would do his PowerPoints. He'd just do it all on his phone. Like, he didn't even bring a laptop. He just... Oh, <laughs> I'm not at that level yet. <laughs> but he probably can. I mean, if, if you're, you know, yeah, he's just like, much time. <laughs> we are not that laptop. I don't want to bring a laptop to work. <laughs> yeah, it's really hassle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, let, let's jump to one thing that I think people will be disappointed if I do not talk about it with you. Yeah. Um, COVID. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, how I've been waiting for that one. <laughs> <laughs> how how has it affected the medical profession? Mm. Like if you could, if you could, like you would probably hear about it. But like the listeners who have a, have the privilege of having a doctor in the family will probably know something about it. Mm. But for those that don't, maybe you could like refresh mm. us a little bit. Yeah, basically it turned our profession upside down. I mean, let's face it, 
we weren't prepared for this. Uh-huh. I mean, Anthony Fauci keeps talking about, you know, the next great pandemic will come. But you know, when, when it actually hits, you're never really prepared for it, let's face it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, so how did it change our lives? It, it changed everything. When, mm-hmm. You know, when, when the ECQ happened, mm-hmm. we basically shut down all our outpatient services, mm-hmm. more or less. Mm-hmm. So we only catered to admissions. Mm-hmm. We only catered to critical patients. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and, and we didn't expect like... Uh, for the census to go down as quickly as, as it did. Uh-huh. And so so we, we had all this free time. We were like, oh, this is really, really relaxed. For that was for the at the at the start of things, right? Uh-huh. And then once the once the pandemic you know hit us, the first wave of the outbreak, so the, the, the admissions kept going up. It it got to the point where we ran out of ventilators for, for our critically ill patients. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we had to we had this long line of like let's say twenty plus patients waiting outside the hospital because we can't cater to them inside the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really big adjustment to make. So if, if somebody just you know uh, collapses outside, so what are we gonna do? Yeah, we were unprepared for those kinds of things. Uh-huh. Uh, a second adjustment I think would also be aside from work, no, uh, it, it's actually spending time away from our family. Uh, back then when when the pandemic started, we really didn't know much about COVID yet. So we were really scared, you know, to, to get COVID. Mm-hmm. So what we'd do is we'd actually live separately from our parents. We'd, uh, we'd actually uh, go on a mandatory quarantine after our COVID rotation just to check if we didn't get sick. Because we had, although, although we, could, we could get a swab done, it wasn't as fast as we could get it now. Mm-hmm. It, uh, back when the pandemic started, you could get it after a week or two, the results. That, that was the worst. So you couldn't really know. So you just better quarantine yourself. And so a lot of, a lot of doctors really scared of contracting it. Because, you know, it can be asymptomatic and still have it. And most of us, we don't want to, you know, pass it on to our family, pass it on to our friends. So we just really have to isolate ourselves. And for me, that was very, very hard to do. Okay. You know, medicine again is, is a social profession. We can't. We, we we really always have to be around people. And for us to you know isolate ourselves, mm-hmm. doing nothing. You know, staying at home, sometimes feeling helpless. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that was a really big adjustment on our part. And what else? Well, uh, yeah, and this is uh, something that uh, you know it's probably pretty tone deaf to ask, mm-hmm. but I'll ask it anyway. Yeah. Right. Like. Are there any positives? Like, there are abundant negatives, and I'm, I'm very sure that that is the case, right? But is there a silver lining to COVID happening at all? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There really is a silver lining. It exposed a lot of weaknesses in our healthcare system, number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so at least if we figure out what's, what's wrong with our healthcare system, and I think there really are a lot of <laughs> things wrong... I, that that could provide you know. Uh, what do you mean, like the like the fact that an adverse health event could bankrupt a person, like this? Yeah, no, no, no. There's uh, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting sick with COVID is really no laughing matter. You could spend up to a million more, yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. If it's really bad, but what what I mean is the healthcare system as in, in general, like mm-hmm. you know how the how the insurance gets uh, used, how the the PhilHealth gets uh, the coverages get you know used, those kinds of things. Uh, how the how the healthcare system prioritizes um, what you call this prioritizes hospital beds. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that was a thing for one. Like there are many beds available, but yeah, but what about the staff? What about the what about the medical equipment? When, mm-hmm. when we run out of ventilators, but there's there's beds. So what are we gonna do with our patients? Those kinds of things. So it exposed a lot of cracks in our in our healthcare system. Aside from that, probably the referral system. You know, because here you know here in Cebu Province, uh, for those who, who don't know. There's really only one big hospital, government hospital, right? And that's Vicente Soto, mm-hmm. Memorial Medical Center. That's that's like the, if you will, it's like the PGH of, of Region 7. Mm-hmm. So the, the referral system is really bad because this, this, like all the patients are get get funneled to, to Soto. So when, if we if we run out of beds, everything every, everyone gets funneled there because we can't accept. And if, if Soto gets full, so where else will they go? So... Kind of, the referral system could get some tweaking. Probably, we could decentralize. Probably, if we could, if that were possible, we could open up yeah, like regional hospitals. Yeah, yeah, regional hospitals would be a really big help because <clears throat> for a time, most of our COVID patients actually came from the provinces, not from the city. And they had to be like dropped in. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we even received patients from Mindanao because wow. yeah, we really do. They get airlifted in, and then. And then uh, critical patients, I yeah. assume, not critical like a, oh, 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 no, 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 a tiny no. call. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, that. <laughs> 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 not, not that. Yeah, so so the referral system could be a lot better actually if we could properly uh, triage or distribute the the patient load equally to other hospitals. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's probably hard, no? Because like the Philippines, like we structure our society more to like, uh, yeah, very centralized. What's that uh, word? I, I, I would say like you know it's very capitalist. You yeah, know, right. I like think that's right. We let we let business take the lead generally, mm-hmm. right? And so you know you have large hospitals like Chongwa, UC Med. Um, oh, uh, what other hospitals uh, are there? CDU. CDU, yeah. They cluster in Cebu because that's like population yeah. center. If you like, didn't notice, all the hospitals are in, you know, find the circle area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right. the, the reason why is because that's probably where they could get the most patients, right? Yeah. From a public health perspective, though, it's probably not the smartest thing. It's not the smartest thing. Right? <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> yeah, like if we're, if we're just talking about the reduction of adverse outcomes, it, it definitely is not. So, like, where do you fall, like, in, like, how... Say, so let's say how medicine intersects with the way we structure our society. Like, do you think that there's something fundamentally wrong with like the other structures that do exist, like our government and the way our politics is, uh, handles these uh, uh, public health issues? Yeah, there could be, for me, from the government point of view, I think they, they have to be seguro, a little more cognizant of the, the health needs of, the, of our constituents. No? Uh, just, yeah, just of their constituents, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, because, you know, I'm not a politician. <laughs> right, but going back to my point. So, yeah, they have to be a bit more cognizant about about the whole healthcare situation. It, it's not just merely, you know, counting the beds, counting the occupancy rate. You know, you have to take all the factors into account, like the staff, the skilled staff that you have, the equipment that you have, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And kind of probably also distribute the the load, the patient load more evenly, seguro. Mm. What what do you think the world's gonna look like going forward? Like after mm. COVID has rolled through, what what changes do you think will stick? What changes do you think will still be made? Oh, we're gonna do Zoom more often. <laughs> Sorry, what? do Zoom more often? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it's um, yeah, that's something that you know we do Zoom for court hearings, man. Yeah, like you know, like we, we have to have to cross examine a witness, and I don't know if someone's coaching him behind the, the camera, you know, yeah. like. Uh, <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. Say yes. <laughs> you can Say hear no. it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what's going to change for the world? I'm really hoping we, we get to be more careful about, you know, about our, ourselves. We have to be more, we have to be more, I'm sorry, kind of cognizant again of, of the needs of others. Because, you mm-hmm. know, COVID is also not just about getting yourself sick, but it's about not also passing it on to other people mm-hmm. and looking like an idiot doing that. <laughs> So, yeah. so I'm really hoping, yeah, after this pandemic is over, we have a more like a deeper understanding of you know, of mm. health, of healthcare in general. Yeah, that was that was something that was so, uh, you know, I have a, I have a live with my mother who's a senior citizen, diabetic, hypertensive, mm. right? She's like the trifecta for yeah. like comorbidities. You know True. what I mean? Mm. So like I really, I, I jumped at the first opportunity to get a vaccine. I didn't care if it was Sinovac. I didn't care if it was. Yeah, I don't know. It could have come out of like That's some. It could have come out of the back of a van. I would have taken it. You know what I mean? Vaccine. It's probably just water. <laughs> Here's five thousand pesos. Uh, no, I would have taken it just just to reduce the chances of yeah. like uh, passing mm-hmm. the back the virus onto my mother. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if there is anything that could have done that, I would have taken it. Uh, this vaccine hesitancy, or like this choosing between vaccines. Like, what do you think of that? Uh, I think it, it's also a product of you know again as what you mentioned it's like a capitalist thing uh-huh. like yeah you're choose you're free to choose really what what vaccine you want it's just that you don't really know when it's gonna arrive right yeah yeah so uh, for me for me the vaccine hesitancy thing uh it's really you know it, you don't you really don't you shouldn't choose I mean I would really advise against choosing like what what you feel is the best vaccine for you because. Come on, let's face it. There's really no perfect vaccine. To be honest, we've seen fully vaccinated individuals still get severe COVID. No, like uh-huh. those are really rare situations, though. But just the chance, like if you think about it, the number of people who've been vaccinated versus the number of people who haven't been vaccinated. Of course, the rate of you getting COVID and the rate of you getting severe COVID is way higher in the group that didn't get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So for me, what we should really just grab the the best available vaccine that you can get because you, you really don't know when you can be vaccinated. Also, right? Mm-hmm. Like example, if you just enroll in the in the program, right? To, yeah, you know, there's there's like different programs. Yeah, different yes, programs. enroll in one and you get yeah, it. Yeah, and then you just wait for your name to be called. Yeah. So what if your name doesn't get called and you get COVID? So who's who are you gonna blame? Yeah, right? it's just yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to put it bluntly. Well, I mean, of course, there's like some there's some uh, let's say lack of efficiency in the distribution like like outside coming in like i was clueless i signed up for mm-hmm. like 
a few different programs because mm. of course you know you, they just ask you to fill out a Google form, mm. right? To, mm. So they get your details. Mm. Uh, and you know, I was really worried. I actually got vaccinated ahead of my mother. That was the that was a trippy thing. Yeah, and that those kinds of anomalies happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really can't explain though. But but yeah, uh, it's it's more of a logistics thing, you know. And mm-hmm. that's what that's what makes it hard. You know, uh, my, one of my uh, infectious disease consultants always used to tell me this is like war. Actually, mm-hmm. it uh, in war the one with the better logistics usually comes out on top. Better mm-hmm. distribution of army of the you know your soldiers. Better distribution of your weapons. Who can be more efficient with their time? You know, those are the, the, the main determinants of you know, like the outcome of a battle. Mm. And and I agree with my professor, with my with my consultant when he said that this is also really like a you should really treat it like a war. It's really a, a battle of logistics. So the more efficient you are, mm. uh, the higher your chances of you know being successful. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's a, that's why it's hard for vaccines because number one you have to have a place to do it. You have to have, you know, also vaccinators too and, you know, healthcare professionals to monitor the patients. Mm. You have to have the proper storage facilities for for the vaccine. And as you know, some of the vaccines need to be refrigerated, even put in a, you know, a kind of, sorry, kind of super cold in a freezer. Yeah. Like negative 70 degrees, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So the logistics of that is really hard. Yeah. Uh, and that's why he also said that, you know, just just to mention, uh, uh, I'm not like being particular to any brand, huh? but that's why the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is quite a really nice thing to have because it's just one dose. So it and it's really, a freezer, like yeah. a regular-ass freezer. Yeah, that's why. So it cuts the logistics in half, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which recently got like 1.4 million doses, no? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. started rolling out a lot of those. Yeah, I'm actually looking for it because I don't think I have to travel for work mm-hmm. like later in the year. I don't think I can travel with Sinovac. Yeah, I'm also not sure because they recently released guidelines for having like a yellow card, right? For if you're allowed to travel outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm also not sure what vaccines they accept. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's kind of it's, it's it's really a problematic thing. But let, let's let's latch onto this uh, uh, this analogy that you use when you compare fighting against this. Uh, disease to yeah. fighting a war right uh, in this war what is the delta variant oh that's, that's the one that you get to turn into a zombie <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's okay. yeah we practiced this before I started <laughs> I'm just kidding yeah so the, the delta variant yeah that's, that's that's what the what we call the new variant of concern right I mean I mean a virus is constantly mutating you know mm-hmm. just like how you know humans evolve mm-hmm. viruses also evolve it's just that since many people are infected with, with COVID right now, so the virus uh, evolved way faster than we would have expected. So this is one of the unexpected evolutions of, of COVID. Well, it is expected, but, you know, like it's kind of bad, right? Mm. Because uh, it, it happened in India, if I'm not mistaken, during the really big outbreak in India. Mm. Um, and supposedly this, this, new, this new variant is more infectious. And the symptoms are maybe a bit more different or maybe a bit faster, the progression of, of the symptoms compared to, you know, the, the typical COVID variant that we have, or the typical COVID strain that we have. Um, but I, as, as far as I know, to my knowledge, um, all vaccines still have offer some degree of protection against uh, the Delta variant. So I would really still advise for you to get vaccinated. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's actually one of the things that's really hard to parse through. Like, if, if you listen to any, like, popular podcast at all, like, one of the mm. one of the things that people still talk about is, you know, where exactly COVID came from. And, like, oh. This, oh, yeah, a lot of conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but they, they say apparently, like, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the ones that's only recently coming to, I know, because of political reasons, is the, mm. the, the Wuhan lab. Yeah, lab, yeah, yeah like, because, because there was gain-of-function research. Can you, like, maybe you could tell us a little bit what that is, if you know. Mm, I'm not very familiar with that. Well, so, okay, this is a lawyer talking out of his butt and he doesn't it's know what he's talking about. <laughs> no, but apparently gain-of-function research, research is like one of the specialties of Fauci. Apparently what they do is they infect um, certain um, mediums, like which is, you know, just essentially cells. animal cells yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with virus. Mm. And then they take the virus that comes from that infection and then put it again and give the virus the chance to mutate and ah, develop. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah, I get yeah. it. And then this, is, this whole process is called gain-of-function research, which was taking place in that Wuhan lab. Mm. Right, and supposedly, supposedly, that's where COVID came from. That's one mm-hmm. of the theories, right? The other theory, of course, is that someone really wanted some pangolin. Oh yeah, that, yeah, raw pangolin, yeah. <laughs> raw batters. It's like, uh, no, don't cook it. it. It ruins the flavor. Yeah, it's like steak, you know. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yeah. Actually, the the origin of COVID is still a mystery. I mean, but they really said it came from you know some raw animals being sold in a in a wet market. Uh-huh. But for me, I don't think the origin matters much now because yeah. you know we're it's here. Yeah, it's it's really here to stay. I mean, frankly, I don't think it will ever get rid of it. It is always gonna be there, kind of like how TB is, you know, tuberculosis. It's, yeah. it's always gonna be there at a you know at a constant low level. We just don't want it to you know. Uh, flare up flare up again like cause another outbreak uh, so yeah uh, for, for me uh, the origin doesn't really matter mm-hmm. yeah but I, I, I'm really interested in that gain of function thing though I think yeah. I'll get a like take a read on that yeah because apparently <laughs> apparently what was what was really funny and this comes from like the Joe Rogan podcast is that so Dr. Anthony Fauci is a strong proponent for this method of research mm-hmm. right and actually the Wuhan lab in China gets US Funding, oh, okay. right. So now it's like you now know, that's interesting. You know the meme where the Spider Men are all pointing to each other. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. three yeah. Spider Men. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of like that. It's like uh-huh. whose fault is COVID? Hey, it's yeah. China, US, and everyone's pointing it their fingers at each other. It's like you paid for it, so you did it. You, you messed up, you know. Um, so yeah. So uh, now we we've talked about like a bunch of the stuff that's particularly uh, poignant. Uh, let, let's let's just back off a bit. And try to talk about what what the doctors do for fun. Like, how do you guys de-stress? Oh, de-stress. Oh, it's really not hard to you know get a doctor to de-stress because we're really stressed as it is. Yeah. Um, just off the top of my head, coffee, <laughs> food, sleep. Uh, yeah. No more data. Data's there, but you know I don't have time for it anymore. <laughs> Sadly, you can't rank. I can't rank it anymore. <laughs> yeah, my MMR's been pretty low. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I I play I play uh like an online card game, Magic the Gathering. Yeah. And it's impossible. Like you need like four or five hours to rank to get the mythic and yeah. I just I just never can put down the time, you know? Yeah. It's like busy man. Busy yeah. Man. It's like it's like sleep and be able to do my job or not sleep and I think have my life you know, you know slowly what I think? unravel. <laughs> you know, I think we're just really getting older, man. <laughs> yeah, we're getting boring. Priorities change. <laughs> mm. Uh and this is the this is the last thing I'll ask. Uh, this is yeah. something I asked all my guests right before yeah. we wrap up the podcast. Sure. Um, where do you envision yourself going with your career now? Like, wh- what is the plan for you? Let's say in the next five years. Oh, you know that's a, that's a funny question to ask because mm-hmm. you know medicine's always been a straightforward thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know now that I've reached this stage of my career of my life also you know I'm not getting any younger <laughs> things like that so it really made me lately I've been actually pondering on, on these things huh. yeah so but I, I kind of had a, a rough idea of what, what I wanted to do so basically uh, after residency training I'd, I'd specialize in, in, uh, in uh, my chosen field I think it's cardiology for me because uh-huh. it's, it's really interesting uh, I, I want to train in Manila but if, if, if there's an opportunity to go abroad then why not like a fellowship? Yeah, like a fellowship. Yeah, oh. that's what you call a fellowship training. Uh, but where, 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 how did your girlfriend fit into that? Did she go with you? So. Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's why. It's, it's she, she's finding out now. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's it. And then maybe in a couple of years, because you know, uh, fellowship training also takes you know, uh, I think a minimum of three years. Mm. It's a really long way to go. Yeah, I'll be really old by the time I'll, I'll be finished. <laughs> is there is there a goal school that you're shooting for? Or Johns mm. Hopkins. Oh no, I, I don't think you know th- those are too competitive. <laughs> too competitive, Mister Top Notcher twice. <laughs> no, you have no then idea. Nobody can do it. Like <laughs> the only ones that are applying are aliens. <laughs> yeah, no, but get, getting abroad is actually quite hard. Uh, just you know, just aside, I know you have to apply for. Uh, licensure examination in the states again, and it's a really long process. And I don't think I, you know, you have it in you. Yeah, I have it in me. It's a matter of choice. I mean, if I really want to do, I think I could do it. I'm mm. not, not not to you know sound so arrogant, but you know if you're willing. Oh, to, you do sound <laughs> arrogant. Thanks, <though>. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You also have to choose your battles. And for me, for me, I think staying here in the Philippines is, I think, a really good choice also. Yeah. Why? Why? Mm, like, why is it though? Is it, is it? Is it just? Sorry, and I have to be very particular with the way I phrase this. Yeah. Is it really just because uh, you know you can't be bothered? Because like, that's the impression I'm getting. Oh, oh. Right. Or is it? Is is it something more? Hmm. Ah, uh, as what I've mentioned, I think priorities change. You know, before when you were younger, I think we were like so career oriented. Mm-hmm. Just wanna, you know, just do whatever I want. Uh-huh. You know, those kinds of things. But then you know, as you get older, you kind of 
you can uh, you know like mellow down a little not really mellow down but you you, you realize what, what what you really want in life like you know like like personally like you know I want to take care of my parents uh, example something bad happens to them I also want to be there for them mm-hmm. yeah uh, we have to you know take care of the, our you know stuff at like our family business mm-hmm. yeah those kinds of things and also I think I think I, I'm I'm better serving I'm better off serving our country uh-huh. yeah so you you you, yeah, you love the Philippines that's good because that's, yeah. that's the theme of the podcast actually people right, who right. try to find success in the Philippines and you know you and I have a we have a classmate in Harvard right oh right right yeah, see, see Kiwi and yeah, she, yeah yeah we all she's sound, a big shot <laughs> yeah we, we sound hilariously unsuccessful we really do co- compared to her <laughs> we really do <laughs> we're not in Harvard to <laughs> <laughs> think we were classmates in grade school yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember you you're in Harvard now. <laughs> autograph yeah but it speaks to your point you know like uh, there, you know if, if you really set yourself out and you, you want to be the best in your field like there's always an, a head honcho like there's always someone bigger than you yeah. like society has it's progressed to that point like that. right yeah. where it's you know you don't have like the Arnold Schwarzeneggers or like the Marie Curies anymore like people who stand out successes in their fields no yeah. there's like at the top of a field is probably like a dozen, a hundred people. Yeah, right. That's true. A that's thousand really people, true. depending on which field we're talking about. Yeah. So you know, like going up, climbing that pyramid doesn't doesn't yeah, seem to make sense anymore. And it also doesn't seem fulfilling to me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So you you go where your where your heart leads you, or you go where you're you know needed, or where you can make the most impact. Yeah. I think that that's one of my biggest realizations. I think. And that and for you, it's the Philippines. Yeah. Okay, and on that point, uh, thank you for coming on my podcast, Ray. Right. Thanks for the opportunity, man.